A reading from the book of Galatians. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. Good morning. For all, all those who are visiting, excuse me, for all those who are visiting, my name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. Really is a treat to worship with you on this beautiful, sunny Charleston morning. Before we dive into our next message here today on Galatians, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our message today is titled, Grace for All. Grace for All. And I'd like to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever been embarrassed by your ancestors? Born on April 13th, not, excuse me, born on April 13th, 1743, he was an American statesman, diplomat, philosopher, lawyer, farmer, musician, and founding father of the United States. As the primary author of the Declaration of Independence, following the American Revolutionary War, he served as our nation's 
first Secretary of State under George Washington, and then as our nation's second Vice President under John Adams. From there, this gentleman was elected as our nation's third president and led our country for two terms, from 1801 to 1809. A genius, a revolutionary, and a frequent connoisseur of ice cream, one cannot crack a history book in the United States or walk the streets of D.C. and not stumble upon this man's legacy. His name? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Yes, Jefferson was a founding father of our country, and we owe much to this man's efforts. However, as are we all, Jefferson was a complicated man. Dare I say, a sullied man. For instance, did you know that despite promoting individual liberty for all, Jefferson enslaved over 600 people during his lifetime? 600 individuals. Furthermore, did you know that following the death of his wife, Jefferson fathered at least six kids with one of his female slaves? He did. Jefferson's relationship with faith, or specifically Christianity, was also rather complicated. For example, did you know that Jefferson struggled to believe in Jesus' miracles as he was an intellect and a naturalist? So he took it upon himself to strike whole chunks and chapters of the Bible. In fact, as he grew older, Jefferson went as far as to take a penknife and uh, cut verses out of the Gospels that he did not like or find reliable. And he created a new book titled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. His goal in this endeavor was to extract, quote, the most sublime and benevolent code of morals that has ever been offered to man. Thus, for Jefferson, Jesus was an excellent moral teacher, but not divine. In his book, or Bible, so to speak, therefore, there was no articulation of grace, no forgiveness of sins by Jesus, and no resurrection of Jesus on Easter morn. It was all cut out. No, Jefferson's only, excuse me, he only kept Jesus' exhortations in his good works, essentially stripping the Bible of God's beautiful intervention in the person and work of Jesus, thereby, I'd argue, stripping the Bible of the gospel itself. Isn't that wild? Do you know all these facts about our founding father, Thomas Jefferson? As I reflect upon this information, I find it uh, sad and quite arrogant. So why do I share this story? Well, here's why. Returning to our opening question, have you ever been embarrassed by your ancestors? In our passage today from Galatians chapter 2, we'll see one of the founding fathers of our faith act like an imbecile. We will. We will see Peter, one of the founding fathers of our faith, the church, act like a knucklehead, and then we'll see this man get confronted with the humility, grace, and courage that can only come by way of the gospel. That's what we're going to discover this morning. So let's dive into God's word together. The big idea we're going to see and unpack from Galatians 2 today is this. Friends, we can never fence in the gospel. For the grace of uh, Jesus welcomes all people and covers all sin. We can never fence in the gospel, for the grace of Jesus welcomes all people and covers all sin. 
Beginning with verse 11, as Christina read, we see these words. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, says Paul, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So point one, we can never fence in the gospel for the grace of Jesus welcomes all people. Allow me to set the scene uh, of our passage this morning. First, the book is the book of Galatians, right? And it was written by the Apostle Paul, a former leading Jew who had experienced a massive conversion and then was commissioned by Jesus to go reach the Gentiles. That's uh, the non-Jewish populations during the first century. And some 17 years had passed since Paul's conversion when this particular confrontation took place. And uh, he was living on mission, helping start new churches through these 17 years or so. And yet he kept butting up against this group that was um, polluting the gospel. These, these people called the Judaizers, and specifically this group, the Judaizers, they were teaching that for individuals to become Christians, that is, true Christians, they had to become true Jews first. And that meant they had to be circumcised, obey or adhere to certain uh, dietary restrictions in keeping with the law of Moses, and also observing certain holy days. And to this... As you can imagine, Paul uh, raised a big objection, and that brings us to our text. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but um, let me heighten the tension or situation even more, the complexity of our text. In our passage, not only does Paul have to confront the very pollution of the gospel, but he also has to confront the pollution of the gospel uh, by confronting a shocking adversary. I mentioned this earlier, he had to confront none other than Peter. Yes, that Peter, a fellow apostle of Jesus. Yes, that Peter to whom Jesus himself had said in Matthew chapter 16, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That Peter, wow, that's quite the twist, right, one fellowship? It's why one theologian puts it like this. This is without a doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes in the New Testament. Here are two leading apostles of Jesus Christ face-to-face in open and complete conflict. The scene has changed from Jerusalem, the Jewish capital, to which the early verses of this chapter belong to Antioch, the chief city of Syria, even Asia, where the Gentile mission began and where the disciples were first called Christians. You got it. So it's a crazy scene, right? How about them apples? That's the context and those are the characters, Peter and Paul. So what was Paul's specific beef with Peter? Well, allow me to read two of the verses again from our text. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. 
So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Thus, excuse me, Paul's beef with Peter was that Peter had reverted to legalism. Jewish legalism resulting in a toxic display of ethnocentrism and nationalism. In other words, he acted like a racist. All based out of what? Fear. Fear. First, let's look at uh, this uh, legalism quickly again. Prior to the grace of Jesus, listen, prior to the grace of Jesus entering the picture, the Jewish people held to a very high standard of piety. They did. Through the law handed down from Moses and then added to throughout the years by different leaders, um, the Jews believed if they were humble enough, holy enough, and consistent enough in living out or into their faith, uh, they would appear righteous before God. So for instance, one first century BC Jewish writer had this to say, quote, the one who does righteousness stores up life for himself with the Lord. And the one who does wickedness is the cause of the destruction of his soul. Thus, the Jews of that day and age were sometimes crazy fervent in their faith journeys, in their devotion, trying in their efforts to please God. The only problem, through this understanding of the law, the Jews completely missed the point of the law. If you've ever struggled with the Old Testament and the New Testament, check this out. They completely were missing the point of the law. As Paul would later write to the Romans in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, the law of the Old Testament wasn't meant to be a magnifying glass as much it was meant to be a mirror for God's people, a mirror displaying all of our need for God's grace, beginning with the Jews. Let me repeat that. It wasn't meant to be a magnifying glass towards perfection. It was meant to be a mirror demonstrating all of our need for God's grace. Thus, the Jews of Peter and Paul's day should have been the most humble and hospitable people on the planet. They should have known their need for God's grace. And that's precisely the point. Grace. Grace. We all need God's grace. We say it here all the time at One Fellowship. Why? Because it is true. The religious, the irreligious, the meticulous moralists, the loose living immoralists, we all need God's grace for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And friends, here's the, here's the hard, hard reality of our text. Here it is. Peter knew this. Peter knew it. Peter knew all about God's grace. And yet, in a moment of testing, Peter blew it. He blew it. This Peter, earlier in life, in Acts chapter 10, he had shared these words. Quote, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And yet here in our text, in this story, he blew it. He reverted to legalism of sorts, self, self-righteousness of sorts, and thus displayed horrific ethnocentrism and nationalism and refused to sup in fellowship with non-Jewish believers. 
To make matters worse, because he was a leader, because of his influence, others also followed suit, including Paul's good friend Barnabas. So church, oh, let this be a warning for all of us, especially when we're tempted to place any form of affiliation, listen, ethnicity, nationality, or the like, or any form of achievement, education, vocation, or something similar, let it be a warning if we place any of this over the grace of Jesus. Nothing stands against the grace of Jesus. Absolutely nothing. And friends, the grace of Jesus does not divide believers. It unites believers. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Psalm 133. For there the Lord bestows his blessing life forevermore. For the grace of God has been revealed, Titus 2, verse 11. The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Thus, point one, we can never fence in the gospel. For the grace of Jesus welcomes all people. Now for point two. We can never fence in the gospel for the grace of Jesus covers all sin, all of our sin. So what was driving? What was driving Peter's behavior? Well, it was fear. We read it was fear of this group of legalists from Jerusalem, fear of the circumcision party, right? Well, let's bring this into the here and now. Here's what we did last week as a staff. We looked at this passage, and then I asked... Um, did any of you guys grow up with man-made rules in your church? If you grew up in the church, what are some of the man-made rules you grew up with? And this was a fun exercise. It was. Here are some of the rules our staff shared. First, you cannot play cards and be a good believer. It's not possible. Anyone hear that growing up? Real fundamentalist background. Austin, got a witness, got a witness. And someone after the first service said, you cannot play pool. Like literally pool. You can't go to... Anyone hear that? You can't play pool and be a good believer. How about this? I heard this in college. You cannot go out and dance and be a faithful Christian. Yes. Uh, more if you've heard that. Wow, how sinful. Here's another. You can't use suspect words or bad words, only words that rhyme with suspect words or bad words <laughs> when you speak. Anyone relate to that? This is... On our staff, someone shared this, and it's so true. In fact, he, he was taught to use the word ducks. <laughs> so Paul, Pastor Paul, this ducks, yeah, doesn't really work, but how about this one? You cannot listen to any non-Christian music and be a good believer. Check. I was in that camp for a very long time. Here's another. You you cannot and you dare not wear a hat or shorts to church and still love Jesus. <sighs> I believe this was written into the bylaws at First Presbyterian Church, Lake Wells, Florida. You had it? Oh, got it. Well, these are some of the rules, right? And these are, these are pretty lighthearted, but it's so natural for us. It's so natural for us as Christians uh, to create these rules, big and small, because our underlying desire is to win the approval of God and others. We're obsessed uh, with creating rules to try to please God and others, right? 
all about people-pleasing and God-pleasing. But listen, church, ready? Here's the rub. Both miss the gospel. Both miss the gospel. Returning to our passage, verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, but because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then dropping to verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. A couple of textual or exegetical notes here. First, I really appreciate how certain translations of the Bible include a footnote uh, along with um, verse 16. If you have uh, your different Bibles, you can maybe see if this is true in your Bible. If we, if we read it through different translations, you could read this. Verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. See, they expand it. By the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, not through your great efforts of faith, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Thus, the correct emphasis is put on not our ongoing work, but on the finished work of Jesus his perfect life, death, and resurrection, meaning what Jesus has done for us, is what makes us pleasing to God. We cannot add to this, and we shall not try to add to this church. Second, we have any lawyers in the room? Just give me a nod. You don't have to out yourself. Paralegals. Note how many times the word justified is used in our text. It's used, listen, three times in verse 16 another in verse 17, and again in verse 21, where it's translated righteousness. So what is justification? What does it mean? Here it is. It's a powerful legal term where a guilty person is declared, declared clear and free and righteous in the eyes of a judge, in the eyes of God himself. Clear and free and righteous in the eyes of a judge in the eyes of God himself. Well, how can this be, pastor, since we're all sinners? And this is where Paul goes from the head to the heart. And he invites us to do the same. Listen, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Allow me to repeat that last statement. I think it's the sweetest summary of the gospel in the whole Bible. Who gave himself for me? Who loved me and gave himself for me? Who loved me and gave himself for me? Who loved me and gave himself for me? In other words, friends, in the court of God's judgment, Jesus took our worst and gave us his best, his life for our life, his innocence for our waywardness, all our sin he took to the cross, all our shame he took to the tree, all our guilt, past, present, and future, he carried in his body on Calvary, a perfect substitute for you and me. Jesus, not hypothetically or metaphorically, but physically and painfully, was condemned to die to set you and me free. And this is the gospel. 
This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's what Paul needed to remind Peter of. He'd lost it. And it's what we frequently need to be reminded of ourselves. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Say it with me, church. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Say it again. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. One more time. And Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, point two, we can never fence in the gospel for the grace of Jesus covers all sin, all of our sin. Thus, we need only be driven by love and never by fear. Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. Jesus loved you and he gave himself for you. Allow me to close with one more story. This one comes from a pastor out of North Carolina. Not too long ago, a wealthy Englishman purchased a Rolls Royce and took his new vehicle to France. It had been advertised as the car of all cars, a problem-free automobile. Does such exist, by the way? But when the gentleman got his vehicle to France, guess what? It broke down. His Rolls broke down. Accordingly, the man called the Rolls-Royce folks back in England, and they immediately flew a mechanic to France to fix the gentleman's car. Of course, the man expected to receive an expensive bill from Rolls-Royce after it was all said and done, since they'd actually flown a mechanic to another country to fix his vehicle. And let, yet, listen, months and months went by, and the gentleman never heard from Rolls-Royce. Finally, the man wrote to Rolls-Royce and said, I can pay the bill, just send it to me. And to this, Rolls-Royce sent the gentleman a note back, which read, I'm sorry, sir, but we have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your vehicle. In other words, to the man's surprise, the debt was paid and the bill was clean. I'm sorry, sir but we have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your vehicle. One fellowship, this is what happens when we understand and accept the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. I am free. You are free. And anyone who accepts the sacrificial love of God in Jesus Christ is free. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thus, friends, as we leave here today, we can open up our tables. We can open up our doors and we can open up our hearts to all experience God's extravagant, scandalous, and limitless grace found in Jesus. We can never fence in the gospel for the grace of Jesus welcomes all people and covers all sin, all of our sins.